Well, you're all a little disturbed by this seating arrangement because you don't know what I'm preaching on. Um, which you should because I preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and so you know exactly what chapter I'm on now. You know what book I'm preaching out of, and if you've had any opportunity, you know exactly the content of John chapter 13, and that is um, the opportunity that Christ took to instruct his disciples through the practice of foot washing. Now you're all very nervous, aren't you? As soon as I said that, you know, oh man, what are we in for? Look at these chairs pointing at me. Someone's going to sit in front of me and we're going to do this. Just take a deep breath, okay? Relax. It's okay. The fact is, is that the disciples were as shocked as maybe you are at the event. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. And we, as we begin looking at a very important event that was used by Jesus Christ to get his disciples' attention. And I want you to think of it in that respect. Um, too many, I, I've been involved in brethren churches that practice foot washing on a regular basis and other groups and and I've studied out their, their uh, arguments for doing so. Um, so this isn't a new topic to me, not by a long shot. That was back in college days, even before seminary. And so um, we're going to take a little bit different tact because I don't think their arguments are uh, compelling to uh, anticipate doing this. And we're going to see that a little bit this morning of why. Uh, Jesus Christ does this in the milieu of now the Passover meal. And so John chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. We're going to stop right there for the time being. So we have a setting now we, that we have transitioned from the previous event, which was the triumphal entry uh, towards the beginning of the Passover week. Uh, now we have jumped forward into the Passover meal itself. Um, and really, he says it was before that, and, and there is already discussion back then. There was, there was disagreement even in Jesus' time about when exactly the Passover was to be conducted. So there were some groups of one at this time, there are others, and that's the case today. Um, and uh, we, it's exacerbated by the Julian calendar that messes them all up um, when a Sabbath is and things like that. But the new moon is still the new moon whenever it comes. It's pretty obvious to everyone on earth when there's a new moon because you look up and there is no moon. And you know it's been coming and you know you can predict it. So we, but we have some discussion about this, and so when you go through the Gospels, it seems like there's multiple Passovers, and there's, because even at Christ's death, they were concerned about uh, not, they were concerned that morning about not being tarnished for the evening's uh, meal, 
uh, and certainly that was when a majority of, but Jesus, of course, is going to practice it the day before. So we're not talking about weeks difference, but usually one or two days difference in the different groups. Jesus Christ chooses to do this, um, this meal together with his disciples. We are in the same context as in the other um, Gospels where you have the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, which we have record of them uh, transculturally uh, practicing in the early church, in the book of Acts, as well as in other history, which is why we carry that on. And Jesus Christ's specific instruction was, continue to do this until I come, and by this you'll remember me. Uh, we don't have a comparable thing with the foot washing, and which is why we do not practice it today. But we do know that foot washing was a common practice of their time. It was not a religious practice. It was a common social practice. And it wasn't practiced by everyone equally. And that, that I think we get into our mind that that happens all the time. If you're invited over to someone's house, you immediately got your feet washed when you come in. Not typically. And in fact, it was usually reserved for honored guests by wealthy uh, hosts who had slaves, and among their slaves, the lowest class slave. So whoever was the lowest among the slaves, their job was to make sure the feet were washed of the important guests that came in. Not every guest. Okay, and so for most of us going to someone's house, we wouldn't be treated like that. Only very special guests would be given that kind of treatment. And normally only in very wealthy families or somewhat wealthy families. And so it wasn't a common practice in every household all the time uh, from the research I've done. But it was a, a common enough that people understood it. And we've already seen where Jesus has taken to task um, a, a host for not having washed his feet, a very important guest. You have a very important guest. You are a wealthy man. You do have slaves. And you have not seen to it that my feet were washed. Yet this woman has not ceased to wash it, wash it since I came in. And she takes that lowly role. So we already know that that is uh, understood, commonly understood uh, principle of how you honor important guests was to make sure their feet were washed. We understand the necessity of this because we understand the times, that we did not have pavement and sidewalks, uh, although there were some in the Roman, high Roman cities. And in fact, if you go there today, uh, you'll see that they had uh, this beautiful uh, uh, mosaic tile. And, uh, and just like in your kitchens and bathrooms and places like that, you get tired of that, as beautiful as it is, and so you cover it over with something else. And they covered it over with marble. And so you go through some of the Roman cities in Jerusalem, or in, in Israel today, that they have excavated, and you will find that exact kind of remodeling. So you go, and you have this beautiful mosaics. You go, wow, that's spectacular. You say, well, they got tired of it, and they covered it up with marble. You go, why, you, why would you do that? Well, I've uncovered beautiful wood floors that were covered in other linoleum or carpet, and you take it up, you go, wow, there's beautiful wood floors here from 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Um, not so much here in New Mexico, more in Ohio. Um, doing a remodel, you find out all this, and now that's come into vogue, where you want those earthy, woody, well, that's what's going on there. So, so the idea that they were always walking in dirt um, really wasn't, isn't an accurate portrayal of that time, but it, there were dusty roads. 
um, that uh, not all of them, certainly, and certainly not in Jerusalem proper, uh, more in the outlying areas, and something we would consider more like cobblestone and things like that. But they're wearing normally open-toed um, sandals. Um, they get the dust of the road on them as they travel, and Jesus Christ's ministry was an itinerant ministry, so we know he traveled. So he, and that travel was by walking, predominantly, uh, and so this is how you treated someone coming in. We find out from John that we're at the end of the meal, which is noteworthy because if anyone treated Jesus as an important guest, his feet should have been washed prior to the meal, not afterwards. So either Jesus had his feet washed and no one else did, um, or or he was, it was just negligent because they were not in one of their homes, and we know that whole arrangement from the other Gospels. In the context of the conversation, this is going to open the door up to Jesus' wondrous words that we have recorded for us here in John uh, 14, 15, 16, 17. So we really have five chapters that we should handle all together. And you know a lot of the passages in these five chapters, but you don't think of them as a unit. And I think there's grave danger there because you can easily take these out of context and, and apply them, I think, mistakenly, um, or at least not as well as we could if we understood the wholeness of this. Jesus Christ is transitioning from public ministry, we saw the close of that last week, to now this very specific ministry to his disciples and to those who would become his disciples. We're included there. I'm really excited about getting to the last half of Jesus' prayer uh, later on when he prays for his disciples and he prays for all of his future disciples, which is where he prayed for me and for you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we have all of this very intimate conversation. And what precipitated it? What precipitates Jesus Christ? doing this radical thing of getting up from the table obviously as the master, as the one that everyone at the table calls Lord, Lord. He is beyond question the greatest person at the table. And he takes up and he lays aside his garments, picks up a servant's towel, and a basin of water, and commences this menial task, which is always reserved for the lowest of the low servants of the household. Because let's be honest with you, there wasn't some wondrous idea of washing people's feet back there any different than there is today. You know, I gotta wash their feet? You know, can't they wash their own feet? You know, why don't we just get a basin there, let them splash around, and then a little tally walk on. Why don't I have to get down? But because it was still a menial task even then. So don't get the idea that somehow they, they just couldn't wait to do this. If that were the case, then the slaves would line up for the job, but they didn't. They passed it down to the lowest among them. So what is it that precipitates Jesus doing this radical activity that shocks the disciples? I believe they were shocked into silence, for the most part, until Peter speaks up. We're going to see that in a little bit. Um, because Peter isn't the first one Jesus has washed his feet of. It says that as he moves along, when he got to Peter, 
Peter is the one that's going to exclaim, no, why are you doing this? And the others are almost like, what? And you can just imagine them looking at each other. You know, um, because you can't say it out loud, but Jesus is down there washing your feet, and you can look at it, and, and it never dawns on them that Jesus always knows what's in their heart. All right? We've been following this guy for three years, and you still think you can look at each other across the table, and he doesn't know what's in your heart. So what, what, what brought Jesus to this radical action? Well, we find out, I believe, in the other Gospels. Because there was an argument going on at the table that night, and the argument was, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Who's the greatest among us? They were already jockeying for political position in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It makes perfect sense because we just got done with the triumphal entry and we have this enormous movement of the people to make Jesus king. We have the obviousness of his capacity to raise the dead, to feed the multitudes, to care. This is the kingdom. We have here even the Jews from all over the Roman Empire. Here's the Greek-speaking Jews wanting audience with the king, uh, essentially. We have all of this going on. We have even the followers of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, abandoning them and coming to Jesus. We have all this going on, and the disciples are just caught up in this. They've, it's happened before. It happened after the feeding of the 5,000. We want him to be king. That's up in Galilee, Galilean area. Um, and, and Jesus says, get in the boat, you know, just, and they were part of the problem. They, they were kind of, this is great. Yeah, let's do this. Let's start this kingdom. Well, here, <laughs> they haven't been listening, which we already know. They, they're just kind of dull, uh, of ears and, uh, we can be critical of them. But the fact is many times that's us. We're dull. What does it mean to have dull hearing? It means that. We aren't applying our full attentions to it, and we aren't engaging it. We aren't being critical in our thinking, not critical in terms of what we're hearing. Uh, there's necessity of being discerning there, but we're not being critical in its application. Does this have anything to do with me? If this has anything to do with me, I shouldn't be sleeping. I shouldn't be letting my mind wander. I should be staying focused, but I don't think it really has anything. So we're, we're guilty of the same thing. We're dull in our hearing like the disciples, we hear what we want to hear and we latch on to that and, and we kind of ignore the other stuff that makes us uncomfortable. Nothing new here and nothing unique to them. And so they've been fighting over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Jesus Christ quells that pretty quickly in the other gospels. Uh, he says you're going to have to be, learn to be servant of all. But John brings forth that he didn't end it there. That wasn't the end of Jesus' demonstration and instruction on them what it means to be the servant of all. What it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And so I believe this is very significantly the issue that Jesus wants to address in this event. That while John doesn't give us the background, the other gospel writers have already given us the background. John already knows that's been written. He already has read those other Gospels um, because this is the last one written. And so he says, we kind of just glossed over this and said, well, Jesus just told us if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, learn to be the servant of all. 
The other writers just simply gave it that much. John says, I'm going to take that and show you how he did it. They didn't just tell us that, he showed us that. And out of this event, the rest of the personal in, uh, intercourse that we have here with Jesus Christ between his disciples is going to be driven by this event. This is not just, um, this is not comparable to the communion table. Now, that was a very different thing. This is an instructional mechanism, tool. Um, we would say it's an object lesson. And so this is the object lesson that Jesus gave. He got up from his seat, discarded his clothing, and began washing their feet. Now, I want to share with you the physical act of washing feet was not the issue. It was not what Jesus was promoting. If that were the case, I would sit down right here and I would start with you and I would take this off. But I'm wired, so I can't, <laughs> can't take this off right now. And I'd start right here and I'd wash everyone's feet. But, and we would replicate that as a church. And many churches have gotten caught up into this activity. And in the midst of that activity, they have forgotten its purpose. They've lost track of what it's really about. Because you see, we always, always prefer ritual over truth. Because ritual is easy, right? Even if it's something as disgusting as sitting down in front of you and washing your feet. And having then to wash the next person's feet. And that's how the brethren do it. So you get your feet washed. Then you take the basin and the towel from them. And you wash the next person's feet. It's easy to participate in that ritual without transforming your life into that which is what the purpose of what Jesus Christ was doing addressed. And that's the... risk of ritual and it's not a new risk if you go even back into Jerusalem into Israel um, that was the thing they were showing up they were conducting their sacrifice they were giving their tithes and offerings they were doing everything and God says I hate that why would God hate their offerings why would God hate their sacrifices why would God hate their Sabbaths and their new moons why would God hate it because it became ritual with no spiritual reality behind it. And my fear is that if we just boil this passage down, that we ought to be going around washing each other's feet, we have replaced reality, spiritual reality with ritual. And it's easy to do. And it makes us walk out and say, we wash each other's feet. <sighs> Which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do to you. Isn't it? And we begin to glory in the ritual. So we're not going to replicate the ritual this morning. Aren't you relieved? How many of you are relieved? Come on, be honest. I'm taking up chairs for those of you listening on the podcast. How many of you are relieved? Come on, raise your hand if you're relieved. I'm not going to wash your feet. And you're not going to have to wash each other. Some of you are disappointed. How many of you are disappointed? Yeah. Because you say, well, that would be a powerful imagery pastor well not in our day and age 
Because I've been to some of your, most of your homes, and you didn't wash my feet when I showed up. I've had many of you in my home, and I didn't wash your feet when you showed up. Why not? Because we don't have that culture. And if somebody washed, watched you do that, they go, what is wrong with those people? I'm not going to take up all the chairs. I'm just trying to relieve you that I'm really not going to do this. Because it's not the point. We're not here to replicate a ritual. Jesus Christ did this as a very pointed display of what it means to humbly love one another and to be the servant of all. And it is really in his conversation with Peter that we're going to discover all of this, that Jesus really isn't talking about the dust on your feet. That's not what this is about at all. So let's look at this. Uh, We pick it up in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, duh. Yeah, I've washed his feet, his feet, his feet, his feet. Now I'm washing your feet. I put up 13 chairs because there's Jesus and 12 disciples. So he got up from one and started washing all the others all the way around, including Judas Iscariot's. Remember that for later. Are you washing my feet? Jesus answered said to him, verse 7, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, that wasn't enough for Peter. Most of Jesus' answers were never enough for Peter because um, he's an impatient person. I don't want to wait to understand it later. Um, Jesus is going to give him, you know, in our Gospel of John, four chapters worth of information to help him understand what he's doing that Peter didn't want to wait. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And we immediately discover this isn't really about washing feet, is it? It isn't that the followers of Jesus Christ have to have clean feet. That is not at issue here. Nor is it that you have to have Jesus, wash your feet. That's not what's at issue here. What his issue is, he is trying to show them through this physical act a spiritual truth. That the washing of feet is going to be related to something other than washing your feet. Peter's still a little slow on the uptake, but we're going to spend a lot of time on it for many, many, many weeks as we go through chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. But here it is, here we come. Uh, Peter is going to say, well, <laughs> okay. And I love Peter because when he's wrong, he's okay to be wrong and to completely go the other direction. All right? So he's over here, not going to wash my feet. No way. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. Well, in that case, um, wash me all. You know, my hands, everything. I, don't, I want every part of me to be a part of you. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I don't want to miss out. I want to have it in fullness. Oh, that we would have that reaction to rebuke. Please understand, Jesus just rebuked him. He said, you are not going to wash my feet. Whoomph. 
By the way, crossing arms only works in America. You do this in, in India and they go, what? Because this just means I'm ready to listen. So it only works in the United States. This is crossing your arms means uh, just try, get through to me. In India it means I'm respectfully listening now. So I couldn't use this in India, so I'm using it here. Huh, you're not washing my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part in me. That's a rebuke. What's the response to rebuke? Right? Pouting. Isn't that the proper response to rebuking? Come on, all your children do it. You rebuke them, they pout. I rebuked one little child in the nursery for touching another child. I said, don't touch that chair. That's his chair. You touch your, you can keep. Wouldn't sing the next song. But by the end of the song, she got over it. Okay? Now you know it's one of those girls. It's got to be Nayeli or Felicity. <laughs> and it doesn't matter which one because they all do it. I want to tell you as a pastor, it doesn't end when they stop being children. You rebuke people, they pout. Sometimes they pout so bad, they don't come to church ever again. Peter responds to Christ's rebuke, thinks about it, and says, well, I don't want to, what am I thinking? I don't want to miss out. If that's the deal, if that's the criteria, then I want to be full in. Don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my hands, wash it all. Jesus Says in verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. We're going to get to that more next week. But the but he comes to this and we begin to discover now what Jesus is really referring to. He's referring to the spiritual condition of their heart, that this washing he's talking about is not a physical bath that you need to take because you guys stink, you know, or, you know, you're soiled, or, or you know, you're, yeah, I've been sitting here and, <coughs> no, had nothing to do with that. We're talking about a spiritual problem that was needed to be addressed. And John and other passages address this. First of all, uh, let's talk about what it means to be clean. To be spiritually clean, only by the washing of regeneration are we in fellowship with Christ. If we have not been washed by the word, if we have not been washed by the blood, if we have not been washed by the, by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, we have no part in Jesus Christ. That is, that cleanliness but it's not only our sin, singular, that we're talking about, that we need to be cleansed, and we often associate that with a salvific event where we uh, one day decided to make Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, and we confessed our sin, and we, and we asked him to forgive us, and we wanted to become his child, and, and we wanted to be members of his kingdom and followers of his name, and we associate that. Yes, that is a cleansing that we are removing our sin that we inherited, uh, which was already done, really, because as soon as Christ died, he became the second Adam. And he removed that sin that you inherited from your father. 
uh, for all men. I believe that's a universal trait, and that's why I hold that infants and such go to heaven, because they don't die for their father's sin. They, they die, but they do not have eternal death because Jesus Christ is a second Adam. Everyone touched by Adam's sin, touched by Christ's sacrifice. Nothing more needs to be done. But not only do we have that sin condition, that old nature that we have surrendered of, and that all of our past sins are forgiven and are washed away, we stand before him clean and in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We are his. This is not to be confused in any respect with holding to religious ritual. Because there's one person at that table it's one of these. There was one person at that table of the 13 that were there that wasn't cleansed, who wasn't a true follower of Jesus Christ. There was one. Jesus Christ washed his feet too. Nobody but Jesus at that table knew who it was, including that person. including that person. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. And so you're already clean. You've already pronounced your commitment to following after me. And while that hasn't taken full form because you haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, that will come in a matter of weeks. And it is assured because you have followed me. And even though you're going to fail me, even this night... Um, that's not really an issue. You have made this commitment of life, and Peter has said it, though everyone else deny you, I'll never. He's going to say it in this meal. And he's going to be informed that you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. No way. Yep, you'll fail. Yes, you will fail. Yes, these things are going to happen. Um, but you have made a life commitment to me, and that has cleansed you. Your faith has been credited with righteousness. Just like Abram, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Wonderful condition. I, I, I'm bathed. I, I'm cleansed of all that past. I've wa it's all been washed away that I have put my trust in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior, and so I am his, and he is mine. That is what he's talking about. And that immediately tells us that the washing of the feet is not about taking care of physical dirt or a physical act. It is not a physical act he is calling us all to. We're going to get to that very quickly here. It is a spiritual act he calls us to do. Not a ritual, but <laughs> a relationship issue. This is what's at stake here. And we talk, you talked a little bit about it in Sunday school today about fellowship and about unity and things like that. And so um, you don't need to have your hands washed. You don't need to have your head washed because you have already made those commitments of life. They are there. You have this relationship. You call me Lord, Lord. You have declared wondrous truths about me. You have followed me even though uh, there's been opposition, yet you follow me. You, you, have, you have been under my instruction. When, as soon as you heard John the Baptist say, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, you left off following him, and you started following me. Bam, just like that. You are cleansed. Because you trust in me. 
That's not what this foot washing is about. I've already cleansed you as a person. And my sacrifice is going to seal the deal but, and, and be the, the thing that happens in heaven to, to complete the cleansing in the heavenly realms. But your faith has been credited you with righteousness just like Abraham. You are cleansed like Abraham was cleansed. Okay? And Abraham's sin was about to be completed in Christ's sacrifice in the heavenly realms as well. When the Lamb of God arrives in the heaven and applies the blood. But the faith to trust in that sacrifice was there. And these men, save one, had put their faith there. They were going to trust in this man, who is God. And they are willing to accept that from his works, to his teaching, to his person. I'm your follower. I've been cleansed. So what's the point of the foot washing? Because there's a second requirement for maintaining fellowship with God. And hopefully we aren't strangers to this second requirement. You see, not only do you have to have that instance when you came to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you say, well, all my sins were forgiven, my, my sin nature, I got a new nature. Yes, you have that event, but there should be something else going on in your life on a regular basis. Because you're going to be traveling in this nasty, filthy world, trying to serve your Savior, and as you travel through this nasty, filthy world where Satan and the world and your flesh have all this influence, you are going to get dirty. Not hopefully, hopefully you're not jumping in the mire and rolling around in it, but just frequenting around pigs, you get dirty. And you will sin. Christians sin. Did I say that? Yes. And this is the instruction. If we sin, what are we supposed to do? Well, we do sin. So what do we do? Do we have to get saved all over? Did I lose my salvation? Am I not part of Jesus Christ anymore? Am I lost? Am I, do I have to get baptized all over again? What's the deal? The deal is 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. As you sin, you confess. We get our feet washed because we pick up dirt along the way. Does that mean I am filthy completely and be re-saved? No. But I need to be refreshed. And so Jesus Christ, remember, told Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Whoa. So even if I had this salvation event back here, and I, and I said, well, that's when I got saved, and then I got baptized after that, that's when I confessed my sin, and I don't ever deal with sin on a daily basis that I commit, and I just, that I have no part in Jesus Christ, exactly what he, Jesus just said. You need both. Because if this is real, you will be a new person in Jesus Christ. This daily cleansing needs to be a reality. If that's a reality, this must be a reality. And so Jesus' statement to Peter isn't, 
well, you have to have clean feet to, follow, to be in my kingdom. You know, that's how we're going to decide who's the best. I'm checking out everybody's feet. You know, it's a spiritual thing that you need to be ready. And Jesus Christ isn't about taking away the, the, that once, but that every day. And that the repentance and confession needs to be a part of our daily experience. Because I am out there and I am sure, I have 100% confidence that you are confronted with temptation in this world every day. If you pick up your device, if you pick up, I mean, I don't understand even why Facebook puts certain things on the little sidebar of my thing. They, I mean, it has no business being there. And I keep tapping on it and saying, no, this is inappropriate, 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 inappropriate. Why does it keep showing up? Because it is not of God. Are you surprised that Facebook is not of God? We are operating in the realm of the evil one. And sometimes you're going to get dirty. And when that happens, we need to be, bam, I want to confess my sin. Lord, forgive me. And there's no mistaking, uh, even in the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgive us our trespasses. You know, I've, I, I looked too long. I listened too much. I said things I shouldn't have said. Lord, forgive me my trespasses. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It should be part of our regular prayer activity. Lord, forgive me for I've trespassed against your word this day. Do I have to get saved all over again? No. But do I need a cleansing? Yes. If I'm going to be in fellowship with God, I need this regular activity of getting my feet washed. Because my feet are traveling through this world, but my heart is somewhere else. For my heart, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You know that song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Well, while you pass through this world, guess what? you pick up some of the dirt on your feet. I don't live in the duck pen, but when I go in there to feed them, I get duck junk on my feet, and my wife doesn't appreciate me tracking it all over. So guess what I have to do before I go in the house? Take off my shoes or clean them, one or the other. You're in this evil world. You're going to step in it sometimes. You can track it around all over. You can deal with it right away. If you want fellowship with God, deal with your sin as you sin. That's the spirituality that Jesus is seeking to teach to his disciples. So now we take that spiritual reality that you need to be fully washed to be in fellowship with Christ, that you need to be regularly washed to be in fellowship with Christ. And by the way, this isn't the last time. These themes are going to be picked up throughout the next few chapters. If you jump over to chapter 15, um, kind of interesting. Um, chapter 15, verse 3, just to give you a, a little peak in the future. Uh, it says, you, Jesus Christ, talking about I'm the vine, you're the branches, uh, you're going to bear fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're already clean, but you still need this washing. We are, are we have a clean heart. We saying, created me a clean heart. He has done that when you by faith trust in him. We have this clean heart, and now we should have this, this desire for regular washing because we are clean people. If you still had the old murky heart, you would never want to confess your sin. You want to rationalize it. 
That's what dirty-hearted people do. They rationalize their sin and say, I can't help it. It's who I am. And they are absolutely correct in their statement. It is who they are. Not genetically, spiritually. They can't help it. But if we have been already made clean by the word, by the power of the word of Jesus Christ, then we don't like dirt. So we're clean freaks. But even clean freaks get dirty. As much as we try not to. And what do we do if you're a clean freak? Do you start eating your meal with dirty? All of you are clean freaks, by the way, because you have been indoctrinated that germs are inherently evil and dirt is the harbinger of, of, of illness and disease and death. All right? And never mind that as a child you played in mud and ate right afterwards and then washed. But anyway... I digress. So you're clean freaks. So what do you do when you get dirty and it's time for lunch? You wash. Do you take a complete shower because you... No, because you're going to have to go back out there again and finish the job. You wash your hands so that you don't get all over because you understand that. But the world doesn't. They're not made clean. They haven't had a clean heart and so it's who they are. So of course I expect them to explain and rationalize their sin and say it's not sin and to say I can't do anything because they can't. It's who, it is who they are. They can't change their spots, the Bible says. So they're clean, but they need washing. We are clean, but we need washing. So we're going to go to God and we're going to ask for forgiveness for the sins that we commit along the way of our Christian life. Sounds great, but we're not quite done. Because Jesus isn't done talking. <laughs> Here we go. Verse 12. So when he washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. You are clean. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. I know, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He is not talking about foot washing at this point. He's talking about the spiritual truth. He's already communicated to Peter that this is about fellowship with me. If you don't let me do this, you have no fellowship with me. So if I am willing to forgive you of the muck and mire you pick up in your Christian walk, if you confess it to me, I am faithful and I am just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all, righteous, of all unrighteousness, then you should be willing to do it to one another. He has just commanded them to be forgiving toward one another. And it makes perfect sense given the topic of discussion just prior to this. Because there was envy and division among them. Because here is, here is uh, the Sons of Thunder's mommy saying, Can my kids be the best in your kingdom? Right hand, left hand? Where's my mom? You know, <laughs> I know I'm really bringing that down to like Talitha's level, but that's okay. So, 
<laughs> but essentially, there's division. There's envy. There's a little strife here. They're, they're arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And left untouched, it will create bitterness, division, and they'll be no different than the rest of the world. Jesus Christ comes in and says, listen, and he's used this example already multiple times. If they hate me, they should hate you. If I'm doing right, you should be doing right. If I'm your teacher and Lord, um, you're not greater than me, so whatever I endure, you should expect to endure. And so now he says, listen, if I'm willing to forgive people their sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive them of their sins, you ought to be. Who do you think you are to keep from forgiveness from someone who confesses their sin to you when God Almighty has forgiven you of your sins. Who do you think you are to hold grudges against God's people because they trampled on your feelings? Who do you think you are? You call me Lord and teacher, and you say, well, and so I am. If I... <laughs> The Son of God. And willing to forgive you your petty little sins that shouldn't even be there. Why are you arguing? I'm getting ready to die and you're arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you brought your mommy in to help you. If I, the Son of God, is willing to forgive your petty little sins against me on this day of my betrayal and my death, my burial is going to all happen in the next 24 hours. And you're fighting over this nonsense. That's the Father's job. And you're fighting and bickering isn't doing anything. I'm willing to forgive you. You'd better be willing to forgive one another because you're not greater than me. You have no right to begrudge anyone forgiveness. None. It is the paramount testimony of enduring love that I'm ready to forgive. The fact is, is that in every relationship, over time, you will offend one another. I've been married to this lady 35 years. I've offended her 20,000 times, at least. She can easily begrudge me every single time. But love keeps no record of wrongs. You don't have a right to begrudge them and say you love them. You don't keep those records. You don't store that data. You dump it as soon as they say, I'm sorry. And sometimes they don't know how to say I'm sorry, especially the little ones. And so, you know, I, I don't begrudge these little kids in the nursery who spit up on me and yank my beard and mess with my tie so I come out here looking like I, uh, for church and I look like, Ugh, what's wrong with that pastor? Well, I just spent an hour in nursery with your kids. This is what they do to me. I don't hold it against them. I'm not holding against you. No. <laughs> because I love those little guys. Those little gals. And so they, you know, okay, well, this happens. I'll, fortunately, I live right next door. I can go change sometimes when it's really bad. Um, 
Oh, that we would understand that foot washing isn't a ritual. Foot washing is about forgiving one another those daily little sins against each other. He didn't talk to me at church today. Well, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Never! Essentially, that's what you're saying in your heart. Because you're going to stomp out and be offended because somebody did something or said something and, and half the time they don't even know they've done it. That's why the Bible says whether you're the offender or the offendee, you still have a responsibility to go to the person and say you offended me or I offended you, I'm sorry. Now, I want to share with you something about forgiveness um, that's misapplied today. With this, I'll close. I didn't quite get to the end of my notes, but we'll, we'll look at Judas next week, and that'll close up a lot of the loops, a lot of the unfinished things I got going on this morning. Uh, our world today says you've got to forgive everybody everything, and I want you to understand something. Love is unconditional. Forgiveness is not. Say that again. Loving people, you are called upon to do it unconditionally. That is, they have to do nothing to earn it or deserve it. You love them. It's a choice of your heart and your mind. I choose to love them. Not based upon whether they're cute, well-dressed, can benefit me, are well-mannered, whether our personalities get along together, whether they are wealthy or poor. Love is unconditional. But forgiveness is not. Does God love the world? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does he forgive everyone? No. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a condition. As we go through verses, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, you're going to see a little two-letter word over and over and over and over and over again. It's going to be if. If, 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 if. As you read through that, you're going to see all these ifs. Those are all conditions. Those are not conditions to receive God's love. Those are the conditions to receive his forgiveness. And in fact, his logic is, if you love me, because my love for you is unquestioned, but if you love me, here's how you show it. And one of the things we show it is this way. By being ready to forgive anyone who asks of us. You have not because you do not ask. And that's going to keep coming up over and over and over again. You need to ask. You need to ask. You need to ask. You need to ask. It's going to be repeated throughout these chapters over and over again. If you ask, ask, ask. You have not because you ask not. And you ask amiss because you want to spend on yourselves. Because it's not driven by love. And so our forgiveness to people is depend upon them, uh, first of all, knowing that they have hurt your feelings. Um, and I'm, a little, I'm really operating at a different level than hurting your feelings. Um, I, I'm, trying, I'm talking about real sin against you. Okay, not slights that you go, because oh, that's your problem. Um, and that's something you need to address, and you probably need to go to that person I've been holding a grudge against you because my feelings are spread out all over the floor and I'm real selfish, and that's your sin against them. You never thought of that, did you? 
Are you ready to forgive people who come to you confessing? And are you ready to forgive them things that you associate with sin that they don't? And that is one of the keys to having fellowship with one another. You cannot have fellowship without, first of all, we all need to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need that big capital C cleansing, that big capital D washing, capital W washing. Um, But we also need the little case. We need to be ready to forgive. We have no right to hold these petty little grudges over anything in the community of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry is all it takes. It's, it's the condition. I have to confess it. I, I confess it freely. Then we are at sin if we don't immediately forgive. That's what getting down on your knees in front of someone who has done you injury and washing their feet is. These men have offended their God by fighting over something they have no concept of what they're about. They are completely clueless. He says, you don't understand this, but this is necessary. They're completely clueless. And he's going to get down on his knees in front of them and wash their feet. If I'm willing to do this for your petty sins, you should be willing to do it for each other's petty sins. And this is such a priority to John. It's in all of his writings for the Christian community. First John, second John, third John, um, the Gospel of John. Um, you need to love one another. What does that look like? It looks like forgiveness. It looks like these little, not the ritual of foot washing, but the spiritual reality of foot washing. Oh, I know we're going to be in heaven together, but that doesn't mean I have to prop with you on this earth. Wrong. Wrong. You have no fellowship with the Father if you're withholding this level of cleansing while claiming this level of cleansing. As you have seen Christ, whom God has forgiven, you better be prepared to forgive. And this comes with this promise. (laughs) Blessed are you if you do them. We know this, really. We know we're supposed to be a forgiving people. That's really one of the hallmarks of what it means to love one another. Jesus Christ, well, you know these things. If you know these things, there's another one's ifs right away. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You want to be blessed as a church? You need to learn to manifest enduring love to one another. How does it last? People ask me, how, did, how does it last that you get married this long? How do you be a pastor of a church this long? Because I don't hold grudges over petty slights. They get washed away. You're allowed to offend me, and I'll forgive you. A lot of pastors can't do that, and so they leave their church. Because they've just endured so many slights, so many pettiness, that they never did any foot washing in their life with their people, and it just got to be unbearable, and they had to leave. So it happens on a 
church level. It happens on a family level. Um, we need to practice this. Not the ritual foot washing. The spiritual reality of sin washing. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this very powerful demonstration of something that should be going on in our lives always. We know it. We know that to, we've received so much forgiveness from you that it's just foolish to think we shouldn't be forgiving others, but we are foolish people. And so Lord, we ask for your help in bringing to our mind and into our heart a, a, a true biblical agape love for one another that will overlook every trespass waiting and inviting confession and repentance that we can jump at the chance of forgiving one another. Lord, help us to be remembering this responsibility that we have toward one another, that we might have a fellowship comparable to that which we have with you. And perhaps, Lord, there are some here who don't have that relationship with you because they have clung to their sin more than your son. And Lord, continue to convict them by your spirit, not only of their need for salvation, but of their need for that daily cleansing, that daily repentance, that turning to you. Lord, we thank you again for a very powerful, important lesson. Help us to remember its point every day with each one among us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.